0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. I think one of the Jonas Brothers? Now hang on just a minute, young lady. I think it's a little bit too early to be talking about marriage. Sure you can. Yay! <laughs> hey, Dad, check it out. I got $100,000 of salary. Great. Now my kid makes more money than I do. If only life were a board game. You know, anyways. Well, welcome to our family, our team. There's my wife, Bridget, Mom. My teenage son, Scott my oldest daughter, Christy, the baby, and I'm dad, team coach. At least that's what I'm striving for. You, you know, it's not as easy as they made it look on those old TV shows. Being team coach comes with a lot of responsibility. I used to think all I had to do was show up, provide, and loosen the lid off a jar once in a while. Well, I quickly found out that if we're going to be a team, I have to be in this game. Daddy, it's your turn. Oh, yeah, hey, listen, I've got to get back to this. Uh, You know, over the next couple of weeks, I hope that our family can shed a little bit of light on your family, both the positive, hey, wait a minute, you can't just take a card, and occasionally the negative. All right, people, settle down. Settle down. It's my turn anyways. All right, here we go.
1: Uh, Wouldn't it be great if life came with its own music, and every time you did something right, played a little song like that, and every time you did something wrong, you had this big ominous sound that would come out, yeah, it would uh, maybe help guide us in the way we're supposed to go. Welcome to church, my name is Ron, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I would love to do so before you leave. I'll hang out in the lobby afterwards, and if you've got any questions or anything, if you don't have a question, I would love to at least get to shake your hand, or probably give you a hug, that's typically how I greet people. And I'm just so glad that you're here. It's going to be a fun journey as we uh, walk our way through the various roles and relationships in a healthy home. So welcome to the journey. On the inside of your program, you'll find a half sheet of notes that uh, has a little picture up in the upper right-hand corner. And uh, if uh, last Sunday was your first time here, I helped you out. I filled in all the blanks last Sunday for you, but this Sunday you're on your own. So enjoy. Um, as we walk our way through this, I am super excited about this particular sermon series because I'll tell you what, if you think to your family of origin, whether it was done well or not done well, nothing affects us as deeply as family. It just goes all the way to the core. You and I have kind of one shot at life in this world as it is now. And it's our goal as a church to help that one shot at life for you be a good one. So we work on very practical issues every single Sunday. And um, just because that's how Jesus taught. And so welcome aboard to that journey. I'm, I'm delighted. You know, right now, in our culture, families under attack. One of the ways in which it's under attack is probably not as obvious as the other. So I want to take the less obvious one first. We live in a culture where moms and dads tend to spend more and more time at two things, work and play. And that means that they end up with less and less time to actually be a parent. And there's a lot of pressure in our culture for mom and dad to spend more time working and playing. Lots of pressure. And that can happen in very interesting ways. It's real easy. Well, I'm just thinking back to a time in my life when I was on the pastoral staff of a church and the church had a very good um, uh, league softball team that played in the highest league in the city. And they had a very good league basketball team that also played in one of the higher leagues in the city and I've always loved athletics, and so I was involved in both of those teams, and I was watching my children come up, and, and when my children got into the grade school years, I sat down with the team members and said, okay, guys, I'm opting out. And they looked at me like, how could you do that? And I said, you know, I realized that when I play league softball, there's all the games, and then there's all the practices, and then there's the year-end tournament, and then there's a couple of other tournaments that you get thrown into that we opt to play in to get us ready to play in the the end-of-the-year league tournament. And as soon as that's done, then we start practicing for basketball, and we have all the league games, and then we have all the practices for those games, and then we have the year-end tournament in basketball. And so we have a few other tournaments we play to get ourselves ready to play in that year-end tournament of basketball. and, And, you know... My family comes to me, comes with me to every one of those games, which I so appreciate, but I realize that's not really family time. They're tagging along, and we're in the same place at the same time, but during games and at tournaments, I don't really have any opportunity to speak into the life of my children. I don't have an opportunity for them to bond with me and for me to bond with them. It's more like okay, let's pack up the lunch let's get everybody in the car, let's go to the field. okay, kids, see you later and i'm gone and, and from that point on, you know I, I put on my player hat and it's that way until the game or the tournament is done, and when the tournament is done, the kids are all tired and exhausted and sunburned and and it's it's get in a car and get home and 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 get everybody in bed and It really wasn't much of a family activity. And they looked at me like, what are you thinking? That was not a real popular decision. But you know, it was the right decision. It's so easy for us to just sort of give away family just by default. All you have to do is just busy yourself with all of what life offers And the next thing you know, you know, your kids are grown and gone and you're looking at them and you realize, wow, I missed years of opportunities. So that's the first way the family's under attack. The second way that family's under attack, and I've really prayed about how to say this to you because I know that there are people in our audience from all sorts of different political persuasions. But, you know, right now, as a state, we're deciding Proposition 8. I want to talk to you for a minute about the family. And Proposition 8 is in there somewhere. You know, God's the author of the family. And as the author of the family, God always intended for the family to be a husband, a wife, and the children that they gave birth to. Just a casual reading of the Bible would, would say that to anybody. And by the way, throughout the centuries, that's pretty much been the way family's been looked at. I know that there are some things, for instance, there's a statement I'm going to read to you here in a minute, but the first lady of our country a few years ago Quoted an old African proverb, I'll start it, you complete it. It takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. So, in that aspect, it's talking about the fact that it, it, it takes more than the family to raise the child, but that has never, ever affected God's view of what family is supposed to be. So, I want to give you an additional or corollary statement to that, and that is a village cannot properly raise a child without a healthy family of origin. Tell you what if you've ever worked in the public school system or you've ever worked in a preschool, uh, any sort of an open preschool, if you've ever just come and worked in our own children's ministry department, you understand right away that you cannot undo the damage that's being done in a child's life if their home of origin is unhealthy. You have that child for a few hours a day. You cannot possibly undo all the damage that's being done in that child's life. Because when the family of origin is not healthy, the village is going to do its best, but it's going to fall woefully short. Now, we live in a culture where family is being trivialized. I just gave you one way in which it's being trivialized, and that is we're being lured away and lured into all sorts of activities that sort of devalue and take the family off of center stage in our lives and, and put it somewhere on the back burner. That's trivializing family. But another way that family's being trivialized is we're looking at it as something we kind of experiment around with. Oh, let's try it like this. Let's try it like that. Let's do this. Let's put this little wrinkle on See whatever we can do. And, you know, yeah, there's a couple of wrinkles that God has blessed. For instance, sometimes a family has to find a way to get along with one parent. Could be for any number of reasons, but sometimes when circumstances are beyond our control... The family has to get along with one parent. God speaks to that issue in his word and God says there are certain things that he actually brings into play when that takes place to make sure that that family can be successful even though they've only got one parent. There are other times when circumstances are beyond the control of a family where they call for a child that that husband and that wife have not given birth to. They call for that family to adopt that child into their home. And you know, God speaks to that issue in His Word too. And He blesses that. But it doesn't change God's original intent that a usual and normal and healthy home would be a husband, a wife, and the children they give birth to. Now, there is also in our culture this growing group of people who are saying, we see the trend to trivialize family. We see the trend to kind of bend and make the family whatever we would like for it to be, and hopefully it'll work. Okay, I guess we'll find out in a generation Well, if you look at what's taken place in our culture over the last 50 to 75 years as we have kind of experimented around with the family and getting married and not getting married and having kids and not having kids and and just kind of tweaked with the family and just ask yourself, how are we doing as a culture? Are our kids more emotionally balanced? Is the coming generation doing better? Are we having less and less people go to prison? I mean, just kind of any way you want to slice our culture, you realize what history has already revealed, and that is any culture that has tampered around with the basic elements of the family has always paid a very high price. Because, you know, when God creates something, anything man does to alter it only makes it go downhill. But there's this growing group of people in our our culture who are saying, wait a minute, we're going to get on board with this. And in fact, if you look at recent trends, more and more people are getting married and the divorce rate is starting to decline. That's a good thing. That's a great thing because we're starting to realize that God kind of knew what he was talking about. And I, I salute you for being here this morning. Because my gut feel is you wouldn't be here if you didn't want God to speak into your life about this very important thing that He calls family and we call family. So that's what we're going to do over the next several weeks. We're going we're to take a look at what the Bible has to say. So let's start with a scripture that I gave you last Sunday because it's kind of the baseline understanding of what the Bible says about family. The whole body fits together together. Perfectly. And right up above the word body, if you would just put in parentheses family, because basically what God is saying, God's using an illustration of the human body to talk about how the family of faith, the church, operates. But anything that God says to the family of faith also applies to the family of origin. And so this is God's picture of what a family is supposed to look like. Well, it fits together perfectly. How? As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole thing is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, there's Uh, about six principles that I want to distill out of that for us as we begin to look at family. And the first principle is this. God intended for our family to be our team in life. You heard the father in the short drama a while ago say, you know, he's the coach of the team because the family was the team in life. And yes, God didn't design you to go through life alone. He designed you to go through life in the setting of a team and the team is your family. I always liken it to this. you got a boat and it's going across the, the sea of life and in that boat is your family. Now, you don't get to choose who's in that boat with you. You didn't get to choose your father or your mother, did you? No, you didn't get to choose them. You did, certainly didn't get to choose your brothers or sisters or you would have chosen differently, right? No. You know some You don't even get to choose your own kids. You just get pregnant, go to the hospital and deliver and you get what you got. Isn't that how it works? Now, don't tell your kids that, all right? because That's not going to communicate the right thing to them. But the bottom line is, you really don't get to choose who's in the boat. The only thing you get to choose is whether you make friends or enemies out of the people in that boat. And I say, since you're stuck with them in life, why not make friends? Why not find a way to take that group of people and make a team out of it and begin to work together at life? That's what God always intended. The family's our team in life. Second principle is this. On a healthy team, each member is considered equally important. That's a lot harder to do. I've never met anybody that wouldn't look at that and go, Amen, Pastor, that's really good. Preach it to us. Because that's one, one thing I agree with. That's a lot harder to do than it is to read. Finish this statement. Children are made to be seen And, yeah, you want to be careful with that. Because if that's not said in the right context, you can very easily devalue your children. Now, what does that, what does it say? On a healthy team, each member is considered, what? Equally. Equally important. I can show you homes where the children rule everything. And it's like parents are nothing but the unpaid servants of the kids. And the parents actually voluntarily get in that role, and they think, by doing that, I'm giving my children the best of everything. I've taken my whole life and wrapped it up in them. That's not good for you. That's not good for them. Because you have devalued your own self when you do that. I can show you other homes where it's the exact opposite of that. Maybe one of the worst cases of that I've ever personally experienced was a guy who called and asked if he could make an appointment to come in and see me. So he came in to my office and I prayed with him and I said, okay, it's your nickel. Let's talk. He said, I got a real problem with my 17-year-old daughter. I said, okay, how so? She wants to leave my house. I said, hmm, that didn't sound very good. When's she going to be 18? Not for six more months. I said, there seems to be a history behind that." He said, you're right, there is. She's not 18 for six more months. And the way I figure it, she owes me six more months of work. I can't imagine why she wouldn't leave, can you? (laughs) Wow. On a healthy team, in a healthy family, every member is considered equally important and vital. Let's take a look at the next principle. On a healthy team, each member is expected to contribute. Parents, that's true even of your preschool children. You should expect them to to contribute to the family. The family does not revolve around them. Every member is expected to contribute. It has to be that way in order for the family to be healthy. When you don't do it that way, you train your children to be self-centered and selfish. The kids are expected to contribute Mom's expected to contribute, dad's expected to contribute, grandparents are expected to contribute, aunts and uncles are expected to contribute. In a healthy family, everyone is expected to contribute. Can you imagine a football team where a guy shows up at the locker and he goes, I'm part of the team, but I do nothing. I got to get, everybody get that clear. You guys work and I get a trophy if we win. They go, man, you are sick. You see, on a healthy team, everyone is expected. That's why that passage of Scripture says that the whole body fits together as each part does its own special work. Okay? Let's take a look at a few more principles. On a healthy team, each member understands his or her role. That's really important. That's why it's important for your family to be organized and intentional about what you're doing in life. Because if it's not organized and it's not intentional and there are not clearly defined roles, no one knows how to contribute or where they're expected to contribute. No one knows when they've contributed what they're supposed to and when they haven't. No one knows when to feel guilty and when not to feel guilty. No one knows when to feel fulfilled or when not to feel fulfilled if the roles aren't clearly defined. Now look at this verse in the Bible. Judges chapter 21. It's the last verse in that book of the Bible. And it says, In those days Israel had no king. And what does the rest of it say? Everyone did as... Doesn't that sound like a lot of families? (laughs) Everybody just does whatever they think they ought to do. Mom does what she sees fit. Dad does what he sees fit. And the kids do whatever mom and dad will let them get by with. And that's how the family operates. And we all sit and look at each other and go, I don't like this. Hey, I I wonder how come our family doesn't work. That's why. On a healthy team, every member has to understand what their specific role is. And over the next several weeks, over the next nine weeks, we're going to be laying out those roles as God defines them in Scripture. And if we'll embrace those into our lives, it's amazing how much fun family can be and absolutely how fulfilling it is. Let's look at the next principle on a healthy team, each member respects the role of others. How many of you have seen a soccer game of kids who are five years old and under? Now you understand what a team is like where there are no roles. (laughs) Right? It's mass chaos. It's just one clump of bodies and everybody's hacking and swinging at the ball. And it's like, Oh, my goodness. And, you know, a 40-minute game of watching that is, is, it's all the kids can take and all the parents can take. <laughs> yeah, because there are no roles. Unfortunately, there are many families who are just like that. There are no clearly defined roles. So no one respects anybody else's role. No one says, Dad, this is what we need you to bring to the table. We expect you to bring it to the table, and, and, and we respect your role in doing that, and we're not going to step in and do it for you you got to bring it, man. And mom, this is what we need you to bring to the table. And we expect you to bring it to the table. And we're not going to do it for you. We're counting on you to bring that to the table. This family has to have that to be successful. And you're the one who can bring it. And where mom and dad look at the kids and say, this is what you're expected to bring to the table of our family. And it's not cruel and unusual punishment. It's how families work. And we need you to step up to the plate and be kids and contribute to this family because everybody does. Everybody has to. Now here's the last principle. On any team, when one member fails, what happens to the rest of the team? Everybody suffers. No offense to any Ohio State fans, but anybody watch that USC-Ohio State game last night? You ever seen a quarterback try to succeed when the line couldn't block? You saw it last night, you know? And the interesting thing was, it was the QB who was getting grass stains all over his uniform and coming up and picking the dirt out of his helmet. Because when one member of the team fails to bring what they have to bring for the team to be successful, the whole team suffers. That's just how it works. So we're going to take a look at what each one of us can bring to the table in our families. And we're going to start with dad's principal contributions. And and, um, so here they are. By the way, If I remember right, principle is misspelled in your notes. Is that correct? Does it end in L-E? Okay, for those of you who are grammarians, you can actually cross it out and make it end in A-L, all right? And then you'll have it right, all right? Now, here's what Dad's principal contributions are. First of all, it's responsibility. And by the way, as we work through these these next nine weeks, I'm just going to give you two words per week, and this is not exhaustive, but I'm going to give you summarizing words, and I'm going to have to give you these things in just seed thought. Because I can't in 30 minutes tell you everything that a dad needs to know in order to be successful as a father. But I'm going to give you seed thoughts. And if you'll take them home and plant them in your life and you'll nurture them up, they will grow and bear fruit. But I can't do all of that in one session. So here we go. The first thing the dad is, is, is supposed to bring to the table is responsibility. Now, earlier you saw the father in, the, in this home say, he's the team coach. On every team that's successful, there's a coach. And the coach is the guy or the gal who says, I understand that the ultimate success or failure of this team is really my responsibility, and I've got to shoulder that load and figure it out. And it's very clear in Scripture that God expects dad to be the one who does that. I put in parentheses behind it direction and destiny. Because it's dad's job as the coach of the team, it's his job to get that figured out. Now he doesn't do it by himself, just like any respectable coach doesn't sit in a room by himself and then come out to a team meeting and say, all right, these are the edicts from the head coach. You'll have a team in mutiny so fast. I'm amazed at fathers who treat their families that way. You know, a coach sits down with all the assistant coaches. He sits down with the captains on his team or her team. even sits down with the individual players and gathers all sorts of input. And then he goes and interviews other coaches and, and, and other sources of information. And then he sits down with his staff and together they map out the direction and the strategy of the team. That's not that hard to understand even in a family setting. That's dad's job. And as he does that, the team now has direction. It's not wandering aimlessly with everybody doing as they see fit. It's got direction. And when it has direction, the direction will determine its destiny. You know how I know God expects dads to do that? Because every instruction in the Bible given regarding the family is either given generically to the family as a whole, but if it's ever specified, it's always given to the fathers. Take a look. Here's a couple of examples. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. All the moms go, good, I get to. No, that's not what that means, all right? Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. God says, Dad, I want you to look at your home and the training and the instruction that takes place there is either going to lead your children down a pathway of peace and prosperity and progress or it's going to take them to a place of anger and frustration and exasperation. Now, Dad, it's up to you to get the culture set right in the home so that it doesn't do the latter but it does the former. In commenting about the home of Abraham, here's what God said. I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord. There was a Mrs. Abraham in that household as well. Her name was Sarah. And she had huge input into how the children of that home turned out. And yet God said, Abraham, I'm not going to sit down with Sarah and say, hey, Sarah, what's up with your family? If something's not going right in your home, Abraham, I'm going to sit down with you because I know it's your responsibility to get it done right. Let me give you a third one. This is spoken about a fellow by the name of Eli. God says, I have warned Eli... That judgment is coming on his family forever. Why? Because his sons are blaspheming God, and he's done nothing to restrain them. There was a Mrs. Eli as well. But you'll notice where God put the responsibility. He put it squarely on the shoulders of Eli. God expects us to bring that to the table. Now, how can we do that? Let me give you three things that we should be doing. First of all, we need to monitor the health of each of the team itself and of each of the individual members. A good coach does that you know I'm amazed you'll see a you'll see a head coach of a football team an NFL team and he's interviewed and and they ask him about certain players and it makes no difference what player you ask a head coach about he could be the first string um, uh, linebacker he could be the third string linebacker he could be just a special team's member but if you bring up the name of any member on his team he can tell you what his strengths are he can tell you what his weaknesses are he can tell you what he does well. He can tell you what he doesn't do well. He can tell you his background, where he came from, what college he went to. How does the head coach know that about 55 different guys? It's his job. And I'm of a mind to believe that if an NFL head coach can learn that about 55 guys that a year or two before he didn't even know, that we can do that for the people to whom God has entrusted to our care. It's our job to monitor what's going on in the team and to monitor monitor what's going on in the individual lives of the people on our team. Second thing we need to do is we need to identify problems before they arise and when they are small. Good coaches do that. They see trends in the team and they recognize that when the, when, the, when the trend is heading in the wrong direction, even if it didn't cause them to lose a game, they recognize if I let this problem go, it's going to cause us to lose games. So I need, to, I need to intervene now before the problem arises or at least while the problem is small and I need to be able to, to speak into that problem. That's important. That's what good coaches do. Then thirdly, I need to choose and enact a solution that will preserve or restore the health of my team. Now, yeah, those are all things that responsible fathers would do. It's one thing to talk about a solution. It's another thing to enact it. Some of you have figured that out, right? Now, things that sound good in the bedroom between you and your wife, somehow when you lay them out before your kids... Then they'll all stand up and cheer and go, Man, that's great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, And sometimes it's hard to enact a solution and to do it consistently and persistently. You know why? Because we're used to doing things a different way. And it takes really hard work and a lot of perseverance. But I'm here just to encourage you in that. Because you don't dare... Just let your family kind of go to its default position because any family that's let to go to its default position, if you let your kids go to their default position, is it usually a good one or a bad one? It's not very good, isn't it? Well, guess what? When you let parents go to their default position, is it usually good or bad? It's not very good. Okay? So that's what God calls us to do. Now, here's a verse where God comments on what this looks like in the home. Paul writes and says, You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. And Paul uses three words to describe how a healthy father deals with his own children. Number one, he encourages them. He's not always yelling at them. He's not always picking at them. He's not always finding fault with them, although he has to consistently monitor what's going on. But even in the context of correcting them, he does it with encouragement. Encouraging them and then comforting them. Why would a father need to comfort his kids? Because, you know, your kids are adults that just stink at it especially as teenagers. They're just learning how to be adults. They're wonderful kids. They're wonderful people, and they are wonderful adults in the making. But you know the deal is, what did you do with a little kid when he first started to walk? And he took two or three steps and fell down. Did you look at him and go, that's nice. Hope you can do better next time. No, you stood him up and you cheered. Hey, you took two steps. That's great. Hey, come here. Look at this. Johnny took his first two steps. Do it again. Do it again. Walk to daddy. And you just found all these ways to comfort. And when he fell down, you know, and kind of banged his nose. Did you want him to quit walking then? Because that was obviously a dangerous activity. No. You picked him up and you encouraged him and you said, oh, it's okay. Daddy, kissed the nose. You wouldn't kiss anybody else's nose, but you do your kids. Yeah. Because there's a level of love and encouragement. And then you urged them to live in a certain way. That's what fathers do. And that's what God expects us. And we should expect of ourselves. And our families should expect of us. That we would step up to the plate and accept that ultimate responsibility for the success of the home. Now there's a whole second thing that kind of grows out of this, and that is the concept of of protection. And the chief element of protection is, is security, because it's normal and natural for kids to feel insecure. And you know, if you just stopped and thought about it, you could figure out that it's just kind of born into kids for them to look to their dads for protection. Now, there are other things that they will just naturally look to a mom for. We're going to talk about that next week. And I readily admit I'm far better at speaking about dads than it is moms for obvious reasons. All right? But uh, think about this. You're on a playground, and there's a couple of third or fourth graders, and they're going at it, and one of them's kind of getting the better of the other one. And the other one says, oh, yeah, well, my dad can what? Beat up your dad. I'll tell you one thing you've never, ever heard on a playground. Oh, yeah? Well, my mom can beat up your mom. (laughs) Now, why wouldn't you hear that? Because kids naturally look to their dads for protection. Yeah. It's just a natural thing. In fact, let me read you a couple of passages of Scripture that would speak into that. Grandchildren... The Bible says, are the crown of old men. I'm sorry all you grandpas, including myself. I hate being in that category of old men, but uh, I like being the crown anyway. (laughs) Now it goes on to say, now look at this, and the glory, and actually that word glory can be translated bravery, so I'm going to choose to translate it that way this morning, and the bravery of sons is what? Yeah. You know what that means? It means that when I create a culture of security for my children, they get brave and bold and confident and secure in life. I want my kids to be that way. You want your kids to be that way. Look at the second passage. Jesus is getting ready to leave this earth and go back into heaven. And he's leaving behind 12 men that he spent three and a half years training. And he recognizes that as soon as he leaves, they're going to feel lost. They're going to be very vulnerable. And you know what Jesus says? They need protection. But of all the ways that he could address God. He could have said, you know, he could have said, almighty God, ruler of heaven and earth. But what does he say? When he starts thinking about protection, how does he address God? Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name. So how can we protect our families? Well, the first is this. It's important for us to develop the ability to sense danger. All of you have seen Western movies, an old Western movie, and it might be a scout or it might be, you know, uh, a Native American or whoever it is, you know, everything is happening there's conversation happening and all of a sudden they go, shh, and then they bend over and they put their ear on the ground, right? And they listen and then they stand up and they say, six horses and one wagon a half a mile away. We all go, whoa, that's really cool. Now, I'm sure that's greatly enhanced for TV. But you get the idea. It's so important for us to sense danger. I'm going to read you a passage of Scripture in a minute that talks about what happens when we don't sense danger. Fathers, it's so important for you to hone that sense. I didn't say become paranoid. Okay? Anyone can become paranoid. That's not sensing danger. That's seeing danger where there isn't any. Okay? But you know, the biggest dangers for most homes are not forces from the outside at all. There are things that happen right in our home that we turn a blind eye to. I remember a pastor talking about Noah, the guy who built the ark. And I remember him saying, you know, the biggest danger Noah faced was not the storm on the outside, it was the woodpeckers on the inside. Yeah. And the truth is, that's the way it is in our homes. See, some, sometimes the behaviors of our children... Or the interaction between mom and dad that isn't anywhere close to what it's supposed to be. We turn a blind eye to and we don't deal with. And those are the things that create the biggest danger for ourselves and for our children. And you know, if you begin to pray and you begin to say, God, would you create in me the ability to sense the difference between what's healthy and... And what isn't healthy? What's a blessing and what is not a blessing? God will begin to do that in your life. I was visiting with someone after the first service and they said to me, you know, my kids are all grown and gone. And I didn't realize till after they were gone how absolutely sick and unhealthy the home was that I raised them in. Now what do I do? I said to them, you're already doing the first thing you should do. Because you're starting to learn what healthy looks like. And you're starting to embrace into your own life what healthy is. And then as you become healthier and healthier, your interaction with your sons and your daughters that have left your home They will begin to sense a difference. And I can tell you this about people. There's something that inevitably draws us to what's healthy. We might not like the changes that it requires in us. That's a whole different deal. But we're still drawn to what's healthy and good. So just keep on that journey. So I want, that's what I would say to you fathers, begin to pray, God, enable me to sense the difference between what's healthy and what's unhealthy so that I can spot danger early. And then secondly, I need to proactively cultivate an atmosphere in my home that, that preserves security, that creates security in my children? Just watch your children as they interact with other children. Do they do it from a position of security or insecurity? Watch your children as they interact with people that are a generation older than they are, or two generations older than they are. Do they do it from a position of security or insecurity? And as a father, just begin to monitor that, and then begin to speak into that, and figure out what you can do in that family so that your children live in that place of security. As you do that, they'll grow up healthy. They'll grow up understanding what a healthy relationship is, what an unhealthy one is, what abuse is, what abuse is not. They'll, they'll begin to differentiate between all that stuff because you as a father have put them in a place where they can learn the difference. So as we close, let me read you a passage and then give you a closing thought. A prudent person foresees. You know what foresees means? That's not hindsight. That's the opposite of hindsight. Okay? It means you see it before it happens. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. May God help us as fathers to see it coming. Now let me give you the closing thought. How important are fathers? Well, I did a little statistical research. God says, dads, I need you to step up to the plate and be dads. There's all kinds of statistical research um, and and so forth that's been done out there in homes where fathers are absent. I want to give you some statistics that show you how important fathers are. Do you realize that when the father is absent, the home is 500% more likely to fall into poverty? That the children in that home, infant mortality rate measures what percentage of babies survive to their first birthday. Do you realize that the infant mortality rate, the number of infants that die before their first birthday in homes where the father is gone, is 80% higher? Wow. Domestic abuse, it's 176% higher in homes where dad is not there. Drug and alcohol addiction of the children, not the parents, 98% higher in people who grew up in homes where dad was absent. Dropout rate, 200% higher in homes where dad is absent. And teenage suicide, 170% higher. Now, I want to take those statistics, I want to say one thing, and then I want to give you some really positive stuff out of those, okay? The one thing I want to say to you is a couple of years ago, actually it's probably four or five years ago now, there was a book that just stormed across the corporate world, and it was called The Power of Full Engagement. Probably many of you read it, or several of you read it. And it talked about the difference between managing your time and managing your energy. And I really don't want to get into the difference of those two. But I just want that phrase to stick in your mind for a minute. And that is, dads, it's one thing to be present, and it's another thing to be fully engaged. Okay? So this morning, I'm not just talking to you about being present in the home. I'm talking to you about being fully engaged as dad. Because you know, what those, you know what those statistics did not measure? You know how much higher those statistics would be if they included homes where dad was present but not fully engaged? <laughs> They'd be way higher. So it's not just showing up. But you know something? Guys, if we could get there and be fully engaged and begin to pray over our families and get up in the morning and, and take seriously our role... To, to accept the responsibility for the success or failure of the family and begin to pull the family together as a team, taking this journey of life as a team, do you realize we could turn those statistics upside down? We could. And if we, if we turn those statistics upside down, then you know what that means? It means that our family would have five times a greater likelihood of staying out of poverty if we just get fully engaged. It means that our children that are born into our home would have an 80% more likely chance of seeing their first birthday. And all I'm doing is being a dad. It means that domestic abuse in my home would be 176% less likely in my home, if I just be a dad and step up to the plate and do what I can do and what God has called me to do and what the family has a right to expect of me. It also means that my kids would grow up and have a 98% less chance of struggling with alcohol and drug addiction if I just be a dad and really be one. It also means that my kids would have a far greater likelihood of completing their education. And all the things that go with that, if I'll just be a dad, and last of all, it means that my kids would be way, way, way less likely to ever even think about ending their lives as teenagers. You know, guys, God's given us a great challenge and a great responsibility and a great role to fill. As we close, I just want to pray for all the dads who are here. Father, thank you that you have been to us this kind of father. You want to be present in our lives. You want to speak into our lives. Even when we failed, you took upon yourself the responsibility and you provided for the forgiveness of our sins, even though it cost you dearly. You, you wrote the, your word and you've left it with us and you've called us into this wonderful place and you're preparing a place for us to live. You've been a wonderful and kind and gracious, encouraging and loving Heavenly Father. Now, God, as we turn our attention toward our children, some of whom are young, some of us turning our attention toward children who, who have already grown and left our homes, but we still have a role in their lives, and some of us are just future fathers, and you're starting to give us a perspective about what you're going to call us to eventually, I pray, God, that you would enable us to be fathers who are responsible, not deadbeat fathers, not just present fathers, but fully engaged, and would you enable us to create this wonderful sense of direction in our home, and this wonderful sense of security so that our children would know that my family is always a safe place. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.